uh, a chorus or a song that goes, uh, you ask me how he, he lives, he lives. You ask me how I know he lives. And Elizabeth says, he lives within my heart. And Elizabeth knows that's really bad theology. So, <laughs> because my friend Mes McConnell down in uh, uh, Edinburgh, he tweeted today, you ask me how I know he lives because the tomb is empty, which doesn't rhyme, but that's actually the truth. Not because he lives within my heart. Our experience is important, but because the tomb is empty. Now, how do we know that something is true? We know it by the witnesses, the people who come and tell us things. Most things we don't experience directly ourselves. And when we think about witnesses, we think, are they credible? So I'm going to look at three witnesses very briefly, each one of them, and to see how it applies to us. Because that's the other question I want to ask. Supposing Jesus did rise from the dead, which I do believe with all my heart, what difference does it make to us? Why are you here this morning? Some of us feel very discouraged. We feel very alone. We feel very frustrated. We feel very angry. Others are full of the joys of spring. Others are struggling with different things. How does Jesus being raised from the dead make any difference in our lives apart from it being an amazing story? Well, we'll see that as we go on. So, the first witness is the Roman centurion. Now, a centurion, do any of the boys and girls know what a centurion was? Special kind of job. Some of you might become one. Hope not, but maybe. No, no, it's a good thing. We need... Samuel, you got it. You tell me. He's a, a soldier in charge of loads of other soldiers. Century in, in Latin meant 100, so he was in charge of 100 soldiers. That's more than the dots on this dice. But he had a particularly horrible job. His job was to supervise crucifixions, and the crucifixions were horrendous. We know that the Roman army was divided into legions of about 6,000 men. Each, in turn, were divided into two groups, which were then in, divided into three groups, so that makes a 1,000 in each. And although the centurion was in charge of a 100, supposed to be, eventually it became the, a centurion who'd be in charge of a 1,000. So this man had a 1,000 men, and their job was to supervise the executions that took place outside Jerusalem. He almost certainly was a Roman. That means he was, of course, from Rome. He was, uh, like our good friend Ramon, he was an Italian. And uh, that was the time when Italians basically ruled the world. And he saw some things that he would speak about and that he testified to. And this is what he saw. We'll just list it from the passage. The first thing is darkness. When Jesus died, there was incredible darkness. A darkness came over the earth. From the sixth hour till the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. That must have been, imagine what that would have been like for him. That must have been a really, really scary experience. In that day, says Amos chapter 8 verse 9, in that day declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Darkness is a sign of something. Does anyone know what darkness is a sign of? 
Let me put it this way. Go on then. Satan. Yeah, pretty good. It's also a sign of this. Supposing I said my face was light and, and bright, what would that mean? It would mean I was happy. Okay. And supposing I said my face was dark, sad, or if I'm looking at you with angry, got it, angry, that's the look. Sometimes your mom gives you the look and you don't, she doesn't have to say anything. It's just the look. Well, darkness in the Bible is a symbol of, of God's anger with us at times. And that's what was being seen here. It was an extraordinary thing. For three hours, when it's beautiful sunshine, it went dark. Also, isolation and loneliness. He saw that. Jesus crying out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the only time that Jesus does not address God the Father as Father. It's the child, almost like a child, wondering what was happening. Now, last night, we showed a horrible film in here, The Passion of the Christ. It's horrible because it shows some of the physical suffering of Jesus, but I think it's impossible to convey the spiritual and the emotional suffering of Jesus Christ. There was an isolation and a loneliness. Jesus, who had always, even when he was on earth, had the Father come to him and say, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That didn't happen on the cross. It was an incredible pain, an incredible agony, an incredible loneliness, an incredible sorrow. And that, by the way, is where you and I come into this, in that when we experience that kind of loneliness, that kind of distress, that kind of sorrow, that kind of dread, that depression, there is no depression, no sorrow that you will have which can be deeper than the sorrow and the depression and the discouragement that Christ had for us. And the centurion saw that. Also, he would have heard of, in verse 51, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You see those over there? That's not a pair of giant trousers. That's meant to be, it's a curtain that's torn in two. Now, what the curtain did, the curtain was a barrier between the people and God. And it was when Jesus died, not only did the darkness come, but this curtain was torn in two. And it's saying the barrier was taken away. And then even more amazing was there was an earthquake. Uh, the earth shook and the rocks split. I've never been in an earthquake, but it must be really, really scary to be in an, in an earthquake. And the centurion experienced that, the darkness, the rock splitting, the earth shaking. And then, incredibly, verse 53, and a lot of people find this very difficult to believe, before uh, Jesus' resurrection, they came out of the tombs, bodies of many holy people. They went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, to live in Jerusalem at that time, that must have been absolutely astounding to experience and to see. The centurion was aware that something extraordinary had happened, and he, that's why he cries out, surely he was the Son of God. Did he understand what that meant? I'm not sure. He was just absolutely amazed at what had happened. 
this hardened soldier, this man who'd been at many, many executions, who'd witnessed all the blood and all the gore and all the horror of it. And he was still able to be so amazed that he said, this was surely the Son of God. Incidentally, the dice, that's in the story because we know that the soldiers, it says the soldiers gambled over his clothes. They were so cruel that when... uh, Jesus was there dying on the cross. They were throwing dice and seeing who would get the few clothes that Jesus had. So on the cross, we see something completely astonishing. We see the Son of God loving us so much that He goes through this incredible agony for us. You know, if you go into a lot of churches, you will see statues of Jesus or pictures of Jesus I actually went, I was in Edinburgh on Friday, and I went into the Scottish National Art Gallery, and there's loads and loads of pictures of Jesus. Now, what's interesting is most of them are pictures of Mary with the baby Jesus, but the ones that have Jesus on the cross, they kind of have him looking really peaceful and almost happy and love shining from his face and so on. I think actually Mel Gibson was more accurate in his portrayal of Christ. Or the artist Peter Hewson, where he paints Christ looking ugly on the cross. I think that was more accurate. The centurion saw it, and he was amazed at what it meant. And I think we too, before we consider what the resurrection means, we should be amazed that Christ went through this for us. And I know that there are many of you here who are Christians, and I'm like this. We hear the phrase, Jesus died on the cross. And we know that. You've learned that from Sunday school. And you've learned he died on the cross for our sins. But I just wonder if it's just become a religious phrase, if it's become something that we say that we believe, but we don't feel it. We don't understand just how much he has gone through for us. It really is astonishing. Sometimes we come to Jesus and say, Lord, if you love me, you'll do this, you'll do this, you'll do this, you'll do this. And I think that really is blasphemy because that, that whole, if you love me, is negated completely by what Christ did. He will never do anything greater or more for you than dying on the cross. Now, we're going to sing about that just now. We're going to sing from uh, Psalm 22. We're going to sing verses 1 and then verses 14 to 20. And we've got a singing group, and they're going to um, sing the tune for us, first of all. They're going to sing the first verse, and... Then uh, we'll all sing from the beginning. So what I'll do is I'll ask the group to stand up. You remain seated. Let them sing the first verse, and then we'll all stand and join in and sing the first verse again, and on to verses 14 to 20. The tune is sold out. The one in David and Goliath, that's right. There's loads of Davids. There's a, there's a David there. There's another David there. There's Davids all over. There's another David over there. So, I mean, David, that's like a really common name. And Mary was a really common name. So when you read about Mary in the Bible, you have to stop and think, hang on, which Mary is this? And this was a Mary called Mary Magdalene. Now, she was called Mary Magdalene because, like, she was Mary from Magdala. That was a place on the west shore of Lake Galilee. Now, Mary Magdalene was a really, really sad woman. She had done many, many bad things. And it said, the Bible tells us that she was possessed by seven demons. And Jesus cast them out of her. She was a very messed up and very confused person. And yet the most amazing thing is, 
In all the lists of Jesus' female disciples, she's the one who's mentioned first. I think sometimes we can promote Christianity in a way which kind of says if you're good, you get to know God. Whereas Christ takes some of the most unworthy people, in our eyes anyway, and he elevates them and he lifts them. And here, Mary is a witness to Jesus' resurrection. She's a witness to the empty tomb. Now, in at verse 25, in, oh, sorry, of chapter 19, she was near the cross of Jesus. So his mother, that's Mary, his mother's sister, who's also called Mary, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So there's three Marys standing at the cross. As far as we know, the only disciple who was at the cross was John. The others were very, very, very scared. But these three women were standing at the cross and witnessing what happened to Jesus. But then she goes to the tomb. Do you know why she went to the grave? The tomb is the grave. Anyone have any idea why she went to the grave? Why would Mary go to the grave? To weep? She could have wept at home as well, but she did. She did weep. Why else do you think she would go? It's, that's a hard question. It's not really. It's because, this is a horrible thing to say, but when your body dies, it begins to go off. It stinks. And what they do, what they did in those days was they would wrap the body in special cloth and perfume to stop that. And they were going to go and do that. Now, Jesus died on the Friday. The reason they didn't do it on the Saturday was because the Saturday was the day of rest for them. So they went early on Sunday morning while it was still dark, so early that it was still dark. And when she got to the tomb, what did she see? What was in the tomb? Sylvie. Nothing. Nothing because look at what it says in the Bible. It says that Jesus was no longer there. And Mary, she stood outside, outside the tomb crying. And why was she crying? Because they've taken the body away, he says, and I don't know where they've put him. And she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize, didn't realize that it was Jesus. In fact, anyone know what this is? Go on, Fraser. What is it? I'm sure you use it a lot. Maybe your dad uses it a lot, a lot more than I do. See, this one is nice and shiny and clean. It shouldn't be. Fraser, go for it. It's a fork. What do you use it for? Gardening. Exactly. And who would use this? Fraser? A gardener. Exactly. I'm not a gardener. If you can use one of these and you'd like to do some gardening, I've got a garden for you. This is... Right. We were in... Uh, Dunvegan Castle this week, this past week, and we visited the gardens. They were absolutely gorgeous, and there was, I could count three gardeners. My brother used to be a gardener in Dunvegan Castle, and actually, sorry, this is a very sexist remark, but what surprised me was that two of them were women. Uh, women are very good gardeners, so if any of the women want to do any gardening, let me know as well. Um, but you use this for gardening. Now, where does that come in this story? Who did Mary think Jesus was? Samuel. A gardener, yes, because where the graves were, that's where they would have gardens and everything all around them, and they'd have a gardener to look after. So she's looking at Jesus, and she didn't expect Jesus to rise from the dead, and so she's really, really uh, surprised and shocked, and uh, she, she says, well, thing is the gardener, look, if you've taken him away, you know, if you've moved him, 
And I think she's about to give him a row. Tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And then look what she does, or what he does. He says to her, Mary. And she turns towards him. And because she hears his voice and hears the tenderness with which he speaks her name, she, she just cries out, Rabboni, which means teacher. She again, she was absolutely amazed. I think what you've got in Mary is the witness of somebody who did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead, who expected to, to bury his body. There are sometimes people, by the way, who argue today, well, you know, in those days, they believed anything. They were stupid. Now we're more intelligent. No, in those days, they didn't believe in resurrection from the dead. In those days, they mocked it as much as people mock it today. Even the disciples did not expect. Somebody uh, asked me yesterday, they said, how come Jesus told them about him rising from the dead and the disciples didn't believe that he would rise from the dead? The answer to that question is the same as it is to you and me. How come we don't believe what the Bible says? Because yeah, we say we do, we're religious, we go along with it, but we don't really, really, really believe it many, many times. It's an extraordinary, a wonderful, a great, great thing. And it's no wonder that she was incredibly joyful. Look at verse 18. She went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them these things he had said to her. I think Mary Magdalene witnessing the, re- the, the death of Jesus was a life-changing event. Witnessing the empty tomb and seeing the resurrected Jesus is a life-changing event. And her witness, I think her witness is incredibly credible and a, a wonderful witness to it, to the, to the gospel, to the good news. By the way, if this had been made up, and it had been made up by the disciples who were all Jews, then the last thing they would have done is taken a sinful woman like Mary as a witness. Because in Jewish law, it took two women to equal one man as a witness. Never mind somebody who had done many of the horrible things that Mary Magdalena had done. So I think, again, it's just another example of the truth of the Bible. In one sense, it's so unlikely that it, it, it kind of rings very true. So we'll take one more witness, but before we do that, we're going to sing uh, When I Survey, and Ian's going to lead us in singing that. Wow, that's brilliant. You've got a big family. Yeah, that's great. Anyone, anyone got any twins? Does anyone know what a twin is? Heather, you're a twin. I did not know that. I'm not going to ask you how old you are. But a twin. What is a twin? When we say Heather's a twin, what does that mean? Both the same. They could look the same. Born at the same time. That's exactly it. They were born at the same time. Well, Didymus just means the twin. So it was Thomas the twin. He was there, one of the disciples. We don't know anything about his other twin, but he was there. and um, He missed. I mean, imagine missing that. Uh, the disciples are meeting together. We could call it church, if you like, and he decided he couldn't be bothered, stayed at home to watch the telly, and Jesus turned up, and he missed it. They were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, but Thomas turns up, and the disciples say, we've seen him. We've seen Jesus. Thomas says, unless I see, anyone know what this is? A nail. Yeah, it's a nail. Well, it's a kind of nail anyway. What do you use a nail for? 
working. Rosie, what would you use a nail for? Do you know that for a minute I thought Rosie was speaking, but you were throwing your voice. That's great. Use a nail if you were working. You guys over there, do you ever use a nail? No? You bite them off. Yeah, it's a different kind of nail. (laughs) Yeah. You wouldn't bite this one. You use a nail to hang things. You use a nail to stick in wood and to make something stick. And most horribly of all, here, when people were crucified, their legs would be tied to the cross and then their hands would be nailed and also their ankles would be nailed. And imagine getting a nail far bigger than this one right through the middle of your hand. Thomas says, unless I can put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe it. Imagine that just the incredible, your hand is very, very sensitive. And when a nail goes into it, and Thomas is really saying, I don't believe. Unless I see and I'm able to touch him, I won't believe it. Thomas, earlier on in John's gospel, in John chapter 11, he was very impetuous. He was very passionate, very like Peter. And when uh, Jesus said he was going to go to see Lazarus and the disciples were saying, don't, don't, because they're going to kill you. Thomas said, let's go. We'll go with him and we'll die as well. John chapter 11. Now, what did Thomas see? What is he a witness to? Well, he saw nothing. There was a group of disciples who told him about seeing Jesus. And first of all, he didn't see that. And because he didn't see it, he refused to believe that they had seen it. But then Jesus came and he saw Jesus. And Thomas said to him, verse 28, my Lord and my God, stop doubting and believe. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas didn't reach out his hand and touch. When he saw Jesus, when he heard Jesus, it was more than enough. And his witness was that he had seen Jesus Christ. Now, where does that leave us? In verse 30, it says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are recorded, these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have have life in his name. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There are many, many people who would say, well, if I saw... I would believe. No, it's a bit like the rich man in hell who said, let me go back and tell my brothers and sisters. And uh, Jesus said, no, they have Moses. If they don't believe Moses, they won't believe if they see you. We have incredible witness, incredible testimony, which is credible. It's incredibly credible. It is, it is tel- testifying to us of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When people say prove it, the only way that question makes any sense is if you accept that there's nothing that can really ultimately be proved. But insofar as we can understand and grasp things, there is nothing more certain than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, says Paul in Romans. We have secure evidence. We have the scriptures, the witness of the church We have God's Holy Spirit. And I think that's a wonderful reason for us to celebrate and to rejoice at what God has given 
to us. I think there are, there are incredible moments when we, we struggle with so many different things. But to know the presence and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I think, is just amazing. And I picked up this poem from John Betjeman, who, as far as I know, wasn't known as a Christian, but he did a radio poem in 1956 called Three Crosses. And this is the last verse, and I think it's wonderful. It says this, Three crosses stand upon a hill, so black against the sky and still, so still and black against the sky, the three of them, and we stand by. After the pain, the blessed relief, after the doubt, the firm belief, after the dark, the dread and sinister. The moment comes when angels minister, the sap is rising in the trees, a scent of spring is in the breeze. Good Friday passes after gloom, Christ bursts in glory from the tomb. I want to say to those of you who are not yet Christians, why not? Christ is risen, that's all you need to know, and you need to commit yourself to follow him. You can't earn it, you can't become religious and and, and, and obtain it in that way. There is a work that God requires, and John describes it. The work is just simply to believe in the one he has sent, to believe in Jesus Christ. And that does mean committing your whole life to him. And I would encourage you to do so, so that on Easter Sunday, 2012, you would know newness of life and uh, and an internal resurrection. And I want to say this to those of us who are Christians. It's, uh, you know, we, we struggle so much with so many different things. We get so angry, we get so hurt, we get so wounded. We are so weak and we are so frail and so often we are in denial of, of all of that. But none of it, none of it can overcome who Christ is and what Christ has done. And the fact that Christ is risen, whatever your personal, family, work, social, financial, emotional circumstances just now. That's enough. That's sufficient. It is a glorious and wonderful day. Christ is risen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.